we have come here than to do just that. Glory to God. Pentecost Day, the day the church began. Youngster went home after Sunday school on Pentecost Sunday and parents asked what the lesson was about and they said it was about the blanket. The parents questioned what in the world there could be in Sunday school about a blanket and the child proceeded to tell that Jesus went away but he sent a comforter. <laughs> and we all need that holy blanket. All of us do. And I'm thankful for the comforter today. Amen? Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, we have the blessed comforter with us. The church was born on the day of Pentecost. A new dispensation began, the dispensation of the church. Jesus expressed before Pentecost what this was like in the pearl of great price, Matthew chapter 12. In that section of scripture, he said that the master sold all that he had and bought it. And that's exactly what God did for the church. He sold all that he had and he bought it. He sold the best, gave his best, and bought the church, redeemed it with the blood of his son, and then filled it with power on the day of Pentecost to win the world to Christ. I praise God for this day. In Matthew 16, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon this rock will I build my church. And the Holy Spirit came. Believers for the first time, were baptized in the Holy Spirit by Jesus. A unified organism emerged, spoken of by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, a body of which Christ is the head, filled, empowered, energized, motivated by the Holy Spirit. When I go away, I will send the Comforter. He shall baptize you. He will fill you with himself. And when the Ephesian believers in Acts 19 gathered together, the apostles asked, Have you received since you believed? And they said, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. It sounds a lot like some folk today, but we are telling them, and many others are telling them, that there is an empowerment, that you don't have to go through the motions of church and the motions of Christianity. It does not have to be a cold, drab, dry thing. It can be hot. It can be alive. It can be vibrant. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. The new dispensation, the day the church began. Two parts to my message. One has to do with conversion. The Spirit comes alive in a person's life. He's been walking apart from the Spirit. There's been no godlikeness in him. 
but he comes to Christ, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold! It's like saying, Hey, look! He's a new creation. Would you believe it? Old things have dropped off, and all these new things are hanging from the limbs of his life. Incredible. He loves church. Likes to give in the offering. He's nice to his wife. He's good to the children. He's good even at work. His whole life is different. There are fruits in his life that were never there before. New creation. Hallelujah. Conversion is a wonderful thing when old things drop off and new things become so real and important to us. It's so real that in Ephesians 2.6, Paul got really carried away. Maybe you've been where he was at this point in his life and his experience with God. This is what he said, and I think it's the epic of all of his statements about conversion. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we're new creations, but in this passage in Ephesians 2, he said, would you believe it? We sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Now, that's really something. That you can be so enamored by God that you literally, while here on earth, with all this nonsense around us, sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Anybody know anything about that? Raise your hand if you know anything about that at all. Amen. I do too. Praise God. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And we say, praise God. That's wonderful. The Spirit comes alive. But, and there's a big, big conjunction in the middle of this whole thing. But we are not only spirit, but we are body and we are soul. And that's where we get into trouble. Now, we understand the body. That's the physical part. Some of these folk on the front row just heard my stomach growl. I saw them look at each other. It just really made a lot of noise all of a sudden, because I don't eat anything on Sunday mornings. I wait until after all of this wonderful opportunity, and long about this time, I'm worse shaped than you ever thought you could be. <laughs> Probably picked that up on the microphone. That's part of my body. It's telling me something, but I, I just ignore it. There's something far more important here than that growl. Somebody is saying now, boy, I was right with you. We're in the same boat. I'm having the same problem. Well, that's the physical. That's the body, and it cries for attention. Always, doesn't it? It always is wanting to control. And then there's the, the soul, the soulish part of us, the intellect, the will, the emotion. All of that is in opposition to the Spirit. It's what Paul spoke about in his epistles when he said we're in a battle, the flesh and the Spirit. We ought to understand that. Because before conversion, you see, the body and the soul were controlling everything we did. They told us where to go, what to do, and the more we did it, the more we wanted one chocolate Sunday isn't enough. One drink isn't enough. One sexual ordeal isn't enough. 
It's incredible how this soulish, physical man cries out for dominance and control. And it leads us deeper and deeper into sin and difficulty until the Holy Spirit confronts that and we become that new creation and we sit in heavenly places with Christ and the body and the soul say, hey, come on now, this is not what I'm used to. I want to have that drink. I want to have that ordeal. I want to have that encounter. I want to be fed and I want to be nourished. Why don't you take care of me? That's where number two comes in, Pentecost. That's why Jesus Christ said, I will fill you with power. Because he knew what would happen after conversion. He knew that that soulish man would be crying out for attention and service and ministry, and the only way to counteract it would be to have a direct infilling of God's Spirit to overcome the temptations, the desires of the fleshly, soulish man. Peter understood it because before Pentecost he denied the Lord. He had fleshly desires. He said from his mouth, though everybody deny you, Lord, I'll never do it. But he did it because the soul and his body was not used to giving over to the spirit. And he didn't want to be killed. He didn't want to hang on a cross. But when he went to the upper room and the Holy Ghost descended, as we read together a few moments ago, he was changed. Pentecost had happened. He was new totally filled with God, and he never turned around again. He won the battle over the body and over the soul. My great concern on Pentecost Sunday is whether we're doing it or not. Are we filled with the Spirit? Are we overcoming people? Now, just to give you the biblical background so you'll know this is all right, God spoke of this experience. Jesus spoke of it. The Holy Spirit wrote it all over the pages of the Bible. John the Baptist talked about it in all four of the Gospels. Every, four, uh, every one of the four Gospel writers wrote it down. Peter discussed it in Acts 11, verse 16. God said through John the Baptist in John 1.33, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, the same as he who baptizeth with the Holy Spirit. God spoke that through John. Jesus in Acts 1.5, before he was ascended, said, John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not long from now. The Holy Spirit inspired the writings of the Bible, so he made sure it was written down, so we have all three members of the Godhead saying, you must be filled with the Spirit. You have to have a baptism of power to overcome the fleshly desires 
of life. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33 said, There is one mightier than I coming after me. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. As I mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recorded that exact experience in their writings. Peter in Acts 11.16 remembered those words, for he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When did it happen? It began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the indwelling Spirit poured out through the souls and bodies of the early followers of Jesus, and it was evidenced by tongues which they had never learned in any university or classroom. He was literally poured out from within them. You see, we all, when we come to Christ, have the Spirit, but He wants to be poured out from within us, as Jesus said in John 7, 38, He that believeth on me, out of his innermost being shall flow a river of living water. And this spake He of the Spirit who was not yet given. Now those who say, there is no experience after conversion, there is no baptism other than John's baptism after conversion. Need to read the words of Jesus again in John 7, 38. He that believeth on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Read on. This spake he of the Spirit who was not yet given. Well, if he was not yet given in John 7, when was he given? And the answer is apparent in Acts 2, he was given. Peter said, as he stood on that day, trying to clarify the confusion, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, who said, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men shall see visions. Young men, are you having visions? Your old men shall dream dreams. Gentlemen, are you dreaming any spiritual dreams? Your handmaidens shall prophesy, ladies. Are you doing any prophesy? Are you filled with the Spirit? And the result, as you read the book of Acts, is a refreshing that touched the world. A refreshing Now, I want to touch on three things under Pentecost that I believe are so very important to us on this wonderful day. What happens when we're filled with the Spirit? So you can judge whether you're filled with the Spirit. It's a lot more than speaking in tongues, although that's the evidence that you have yielded yourself 100% to God. But there is the freedom that we have in prayer when we're filled with the Spirit. And what is the biggest problem that people bring to the pastors, to classes? What's the first question that's usually asked? How can I pray? That's the biggest question that's ever brought to a theological setting. How, how do you pray? Well, in the Bible, we have an answer. Romans 8, 26, 27. When you don't know how to pray as you ought, 
The Holy Spirit prays through you. Read it. It's Romans 8, 26, 27. So how can you pray without the Holy Spirit? You can't. About 60 seconds is our best shot. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Good night. All right, let's pray for the food. Oh, God, thank you for the food. Amen. Slurp, gobble, gobble. That's our prayer life. <laughs> We're all guilty, aren't we? Why is that? Because we run out of English words. We run out of our language. We, we don't know how to pray as we ought. How do you pray for people whose names are in our bulletin that are ridden with cancer? How do you pray for a Bangladesh where 10,000 people have been swept away by a tidal wave? How do you pray? The Spirit prayeth with groanings which you yourself cannot utter. They come from within. It's that river that Jesus spoke about that will burst forth from within. And you can pray literally for hours in the Spirit if you avail yourself to the Spirit. And there's another wonderful verse in the New Testament on this theme. It's the 20th verse of Jude. It's only one chapter, so you don't have to search for the chapters. By the way, that's the book just before Revelation. Verse 20. Here's what it says. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Why are we so weak? Why are we pushed around by so many things in life? Because we're not built up in our most holy faith. Well, if we're not built up, how do we get built up? Thank you for asking. Praying in the Holy Spirit. There's your answer. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Freedom in prayer. It is a downright tragedy, folks, when a so-called spirit-filled church can't fill up 168 hours of prayer in our 168-hour prayer room. We've been asking you for weeks to take an hour, same hour every week, come to that prayer room and pray. We haven't filled them all up yet. There's still some hours left in the bulletin every week. So I have been led by God to tell you we're not a spirit-filled church. We're not a spirit-filled church yet, totally. Now, there are people here filled with the Spirit, but we're not a spirit-filled church. If we were a spirit-filled church, Every hour would be taken and there'd be a waiting list. Thank you, Brother Youngland. He believes it. The prayer room would be full at the appointed time. If we were a spirit-filled church, our prayer times together would be absolutely electric. But we don't really know how to pray for each other. Because we have to pray in the Holy Spirit. He prays through us. And that comes when you have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So the church needs to be born again. There needs to be the beginning of the church again in the world. So that we will fulfill the challenge of prayer 
in our world. We can turn the world upside down like they did if we learn how to pray in the Spirit. So from that, I say we're not a Spirit-filled church, totally. Some people need to pay attention to the witness of the Spirit about prayer. Secondly, Acts 1.8 tells us that when this experience comes, we would be endued with power from on high and we would be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Look at these empty seats here. You know how long it would take to fill this church? One week. One week. If we were really spirit-filled, these seats would be totally packed. I believe that with every ounce of my being. Can you imagine how many people this mob of folk touches in a week? And there was another mob just like you at 9 o'clock. Can you imagine how many people all of us come across in one week and most of them are not Christians? Did you say anything about Jesus to them last week? Did you say anything about church, that we're going to have a great musical, why don't you come with me? Now, don't say no, I'm going to pick you up, you're going to come, you need this. No, we were DDs this week, deaf and dumb. Most of us were deaf and dumb. That's why you're struggling. You need to talk about Jesus. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. So we're not a spirit-filled church. When all these seats are full, and I see you lining up out there in the sunshine waiting to get in, I'll believe we're spirit-filled. Now, I'm not going to do it for you. I can't. The ads in the paper are not what God designed to win this city and bring the world to Christ. It's you he designed, spirit-filled. You'll never be a witness until you're filled with the Spirit. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses. And how many seats could you fill up? Oh, but I don't want to get my car dirty. You're not filled with the Spirit. You care about your car getting dirty. I know a lady in another church that took this literally, went down her street, filled her car up, then took two trips, three trips, finally went to the pastor, said, I could fill a bus if I had a bus. She sold her car and bought a bus. She began bringing her own busload to church every week, packed that bus every week. She took it seriously, and the Spirit of God helped her. How many of you have never brought anybody to church, you've never led anybody to Christ, and yet you say, hallelujah, I'm spirit-filled. You're not spirit-filled. And I say that lovingly and kindly. We cannot say we are spirit-filled until this place is absolutely brimming with excitement and people hanging from the rafters wanting to know about Jesus. Spirit-filled people bring people to Christ. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. In the fourth chapter of Acts, verse number 29, the church was gathered together. This was after Pentecost. They had been threatened and beaten because of their witness and the healing of the layman at the gate beautiful. And they prayed this prayer, God grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now what does some of our folk pray? Oh God, don't let anybody know I'm a Christian now. 
Lord, somehow keep this thing quiet in the office or at the school. Don't let anybody know. We hide our Bible. We don't identify with the church. We don't identify with Christ. They said, God, give us boldness. And in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. <laughs> we're spirit-filled when we're bold. Are you bold for God? Why, some of you bless your hearts. We can't get you to write a letter to the supervisors. You're afraid. You wouldn't walk around an abortion clinic. You're afraid. You let the homosexuals take over the community because you're afraid to speak up. You're afraid to call the television stations. I got a hold of a television station manager this week, and I said, why did you show on your channel nudity? And I always, when I make phone calls like that, I always use all of the influence I've got. I said, this is Dr. Cole calling. <laughs> it's always helpful. He took 20 minutes to try to get around that issue. And I said, sir, I just want you to know there's a large group of people in this city who don't like it. And I trust this is not the policy of your station. And he said, doctor, this is not the policy of our station. Thank you, sir. I've got it. Now, could you imagine if everybody in our church would do that? That man would be running with shaky legs every day of his life. But no, we're too chicken. Our dear mayor this week needs prayer when she says this thing's got to encompass this this new ordinance has got to encompass the religious community as well. I say, dear mayor, you'll never make that stick because I will obey the law of God before I obey your law. We cannot abide by your laws when they counter the law of God. We will break your law in order to honor God's law. I went on radio this morning and said that to this whole community because I'm not afraid to say that. I asked our administrator this week to get me an appointment with her as soon as possible so I can tell her that to her face. I don't know if we've managed yet, but we will. Boldness. What are we here for? You're going to be witnesses to me. I don't want anything to do with politics, but I want everything to do with the moral climate of this city and of our world. And we must live our convictions. Paul went before the mob in Acts 22 with no fear. He went before Felix with no fear. He went before Agrippa with no fear. He made known Jesus Christ because he was spirit-filled. And there's something about us. Man, we just get cold sweat when it comes to witnessing. We're talking about our faith or even mentioning the church. Dear friends, we better get bold or we're going to get mowed down. 
There is a growing animosity. Have you noticed it at all? I was in Santa Cruz yesterday for Bethany graduation. Four of our wonderful young people graduated. I was proud of them. But in Santa Cruz, I learned that two weeks ago, a Jesuit priest in Santa Cruz was murdered, and on his church, 666 was painted and other demonic symbols. In California, 160 miles from here, I'm not leaving. This is my beautiful portrait that you saw hanging out in this lobby until yesterday that Serlins did for us of their own volition. I never asked for it. They did it. It's really nice. It favors me well. <laughs> but I feel just about like that, sort of cut in half today. Because a man came into this building, ripped it off the wall, and did that to it yesterday. <laughs> we have had to take the screens off of our windows in the school because they keep getting ripped in half. Can't keep them on. It's almost to the point where 24-hour surveillance is necessary. Why? There's a growing animosity. Why? Jesus is coming. That's why. You know that I had a death threat, and ever since I've been told by the authorities, don't go out a doorway without looking twice. You have enemies. Well, I, I agree. But I'm not afraid. I feel bold for God. But I want to tell you, folk, we better be filled with the Spirit or we're going to be run over. There are things happening that I never dreamed would happen. And here's the panic of the whole thing. You don't mind if I just sort of bare my heart to you a little bit? See, I sit in my office and I get these letters about Dr. Robert Schuler from some folk around here. Is he your friend? Yeah, he's my friend. He's my good friend. I need all the friends like that I can get because he believes in the same Christ I believe in. And I need Oral Roberts, and I get these letters about Oral Roberts. Could he really be a man of God when he's always asking for money? Friends... Our enemy is not Robert Schuller or Oral Roberts or Pat Robertson or Jim Baker or James Robison and these wonderful letters that waste my time. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is out there wanting to destroy us. Let us not waste our time with our friends. Let's get in prayer about our enemies. Did you see 2020, a week ago, the episode on devil worship in America and the murders out of devil worship and all? That was a fabulous presentation on a secular market. That's our enemy. Let's not waste our time on non-enemies. 
A spirit-filled person recognizes who his enemies are. Are we filled with the Spirit? We need to see things as God sees them. Our enemy is real. And if we're not strong, if we're not in prayer in the Spirit, if we're not bold in the Spirit, we're going to be run over in this final day. They that are strong will do exploits. Let us not be weak and weary. Let us let the water flow out from within, as Jesus said it would in John 7. Hallelujah. Be filled with the Spirit, church. There's one final thing that this wonderful experience brings, and that's the open door to all the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit. <laughs> what are the gifts? You know them, I hope. There is the gift of faith. Are you a person of faith? Or do you live by what you see? God wants us to be men and women of faith. That we see this community converted. We see things change. We see this place jam-packed. We see building programs emerging. We see things happening in our world because we see through the eyes of faith. There are people who have the gifts of healings. It's a gift of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit opens the door to that gift. No wonder a lot of churches say that ended with the apostles because they're not spirit-filled. They know that they don't have it. The gift of miracles. Anything that is opposed to the natural order of nature is a miracle. And we need miracles every day. We need people with the gift of miracles. We need the gifts of revelation, knowledge, wisdom, discernment. Are we spirit-filled? The gift of prophecy, tongues and interpretation thereof. All of these gifts, and then on top of that, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, temperance, all of these things. Are we Spirit-filled? Then why are you fighting with your wife? Why are you fighting with your husband? Why are you separating your marriage? Why are you going out on one another? Why are you doing the cheating and the conniving if you're Spirit-filled? doesn't work. lady stood here last night crying, asking me for prayer. Her husband who's been worshiping with us now is with another woman and has issued divorce papers. Spirit-filled people don't do that. It's the body and the soul crying out for what they want. And life was never intended to be that way. That's why Jesus sent his Holy Ghost. And he said he'll baptize you with power. Now, it doesn't take this Pentecostal baptism to get to heaven, according to my understanding of the Bible, but it certainly is going to take it to survive here. Are you filled with the Spirit? It's the way the church began. I didn't order it that way, so if you don't like it, don't blame me. The Lord ordered it that way. He, he said, you're going to need power. And, 
And I'm glad it's this way, really, because if we could do it in ourselves, wouldn't that be kind of pathetic? If we had to operate without the supernatural, I'm happy for the supernatural. And I always pray, Lord, if you want to interrupt any kind of program we've got or any kind of service plan we've got, you're welcome. Just interrupt it. I want to be open to that. Are we spirit-filled? And you let me know that. Fill those seats. Fill that prayer room. Fill this place when we have announced, because we're your leaders, that church doors are open on Wednesday at 7, and prayer meetings are announced, and Sunday night church is announced. You see, God gives us leaders to make schedules so that we can prove to the world we're spirit-filled and we can grow together. You see, as a member, you don't even have an option to stay at home because the leadership says this is what we're going to do. We're not spirit-filled until we fall in line and say, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to see what God's going to do through this body. I'm tired. of. I'm really tired. I don't know. I told the early church, maybe I need a three-month vacation, leave of absence. I don't know. I'm just tired. I'm tired of begging people. I'm tired of trying to get people to sing and play in the orchestra who have gifts. And they, ah, they sit back there like, oh, come on, encourage me. Encourage me to be here for revival meetings. Things that you feel are important for this church. You, you, come on, beg me. No way. I'll hang it up before I do that. I'll just say, here's what I think God wants us to do. Be filled with the Spirit. 